show notes when I actually publish this. But in the meantime, we're going to call it episode 130 of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine, and time is a construct, so it doesn't matter what episode. Especially these days when every day has a certain feeling of the day before, if you will. Look, it's true. Yeah, for those who who don't know, if, if you're listening to this, like, in the future, future, oh, I future, hope everything's future. okay. Right, we hope that we're all still here. <laughs> that we're not, you know, that Captain Trips didn't take us all and we're left with Molly Ringwald and Jamie Sheridan. No, no, we believe that is not the case. Uh, but we are recording in the midst of COVID-19 2020. I kind of wish it was, you know, I didn't even think about that. But it would have been so much easier, like, because when you say COVID-19, it sounds like the year 2019. Mm-hmm. And if you're like me and it's March and you still can't remember that it's 2020, that really just makes things even more confusing. Yes. I mean, that's the least of their problems when it comes to this situation. But I'm just saying, if you want one more thing to be angry about, I've given it to you all. Look, you're getting very specific, but if people are into that, about being angry about that, then do it. Hey, we're all paying, we're all paying a lot more specific attention to things as of late. Um, that's true. But we are not, don't worry, we didn't do like a plague movie or anything. Uh, what movie, my dear, are we covering today? We watched and we'll talk about Eve's Bayou mm-hmm. from 97? 1997, that that's right. Yeah. You and I were in 10th grade, maybe? Um, That Perhaps. feels right. Yeah, As sure. a September baby. I don't ever remember or I know when Christine I was Christine likes any... to always tell the world that she's seven months younger than me. Mm. <laughs> the only way I know how old I am is because you turn it first. And then I go, <laughs> mm, yes, that'll be me later. I would like to remind you that this means I will be getting senior citizen discounts seven months before you will. I Look, good for you. Get Just that think on it. Just think on it. Popcorn or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I'm going to milk it hard. Don't you just wait. Uh, sadly, we are still another 30, 20 something, 30 year. I don't know when you become a senior citizen. We're sometimes away from them. Hopefully by then movie theaters will be open again and we can at least get movie tickets at a discount. We'll Look, find out. I'm, I'm feeling it. I, as somebody who is a week, a, a movie a week, maybe yeah. sometimes more, this is, this has been, that, that's been the thing for me that yeah. I can't go to the movies. I get it. I get it. I think for me... It's, I don't go to the movies much. Just It's hard when you don't live right near one and don't have a car to get to one. And especially when the only one you want to go to requires a taxi to get to. Yep. Um, my worry is, and it's a weird thing, because on one hand, I don't mind the movie industry 
adjusting after this. I've always said I would pay $20 to watch a new release in the comfort of my own home. Um, so I would be fine if they decide, you know what, when Wonder Woman comes out, um, even if theaters are open, you can also rent it at home for 20 bucks. I'd be great with that. But what worries me are things like the Alamo Draft House and everybody's like independent movie theaters and all of those places that were hanging on by threads of various uh, strength, if you will, mm-hmm. of are they still going to be in business and running and, and that. That's what concerns me. And and of course, for all of the employees who are not getting paid, my heart goes yep. out to all of them. For sure. Yep. Um, we have a historic theater like right down the street and they closed a week and a half ago. Yeah. And like we didn't we didn't go there often just because we had the AMC, uh, the stubs list yeah. thing. But like when they reopen and hopefully they will, hopefully that there will be mm-hmm. some type of government aid for smaller businesses like that. We're like, we're going right, right away. Right. We're going to go immediately yeah. because like, oh, I don't want that to go away. I know. I, know. I think that's one of the like, sil- not silver linings, but sort of things we can all like hold on to during this time is that idea of when this is over, all the things we're going to appreciate more. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Some people don't appreciate anything though. So I suppose not, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's so funny today. I was walking into my apartment building and there was somebody a little bit behind me and I'm walking in, you know, I have a heavy door and you need a giant key to get into the building. And usually if there's somebody behind you and you know them, like you hold the door open for them. And I walk in and I hold the door and like, we're both kind of playing that game of, I want to be polite and hold the door open for you. But we also both want to be responsible and not be close to each other. So it's mm-hmm. like me holding the door and then walking as far away from it with my pinky still holding it that I could so that he could still come in without having to use his key. And this, you know, I don't know, that weird kind of moment of understanding that we both like gave each other a nod and we're like, yeah, we we figured out a way to still be nice neighbors to each other. That's sweet. Yeah, it's a weird time. That's very wholesome. Yeah. So along the lines of a weird time, before we dive into Eve's Bayou, uh, what are you watching during this during this period? Look, it's fallen apart. I'm gonna I'm gonna be real with you. Um, I ugh. watching <laughs> things has become difficult. It's strange, yeah. And it's funny because when the last time we recorded, which was very recently, we were both like, "Wow, didn't we just record?" And we had. And now this is like one of the fastest turnarounds I think we've had because I knew like, I'm like, look, both of us aren't doing anything on the weekends. So, you know, I know we both have time to watch stuff and we're probably both going to have a hefty list to talk about. So I, I don't like, so, okay. So first, first real quick, um, I really love uh, the TV show, the magicians and Mm -hmm. it's last season is airing now. The first four seasons are on Netflix. You should watch that. So I'm keeping current with that. I'm also keeping current with Legends of Tomorrow, which is my favorite DC superhero show. The first four seasons of that are also on Netflix. If people are looking for anything, please trust me. I am very smart and I know good things. (laughs) Those are good things. Um, Also, instead of rewatch, I say this as we were just watching season season four of Drag Race from the (laughs) beginning. We we had to curb our drag race rewatching, even though that is like a warm fuzzy blanket for me. So we decided to watch the influencer season of the Amazing Race. <laughs> um, I didn't know that was a thing. Yep, I, I've actually I've watched one episode of the Amazing Race. 
and I just didn't care for it. I just found it too frantic and I didn't, I don't know. It was like just kind of like being in a, what did I, I imagine being in, a, in an escape room is like. Uh, and then the other thing, I've always had this like chip on my shoulder for Amazing Race because it would win best reality competition every single year of the Emmys. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was unfair. Uh, but tell me about the influencer season of the Amazing Race. Well, I think it's from 2015. So it's a little bit older now. Okay. And well, that's when influencers the... were really hot. Yes. And um, it's the first episode. I'm go- We were both like, I think it's because there's like a million teams on the first episode. And they're trying to establish teams and tell you why they're like, what they're influencers for. And here they are. And, and it really did feel like too much. And okay. I was like, this is so much. But we, we, we have this, the finale um to finish probably tonight it is really good (laughs) it's really good and i'm like begrudgingly enjoying it i will get into a good competition show sure me too i i love it when they're good they're good this one has been good there's been like really like obnoxious annoying people and terrible situations that are frustrating but there's also been a lot of like really funny sweet things and i was like this is the level of humanity that i want right now good so that's on amazon prime if you guys are curious (laughs) um but movies back before it was like it is right now and i could maybe think a little bit better um i watched speed racer i've never seen speed racer I loved it. Okay. And it was, and I, and I, and I was on the Twitter recommending Wachowski movies if mm-hmm. for like your lock in movies and like your quarantine sure. movies because people are going super yeah. dark with some of their picks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not where I'm at. And maybe because it's some, I'm such an old lady, like I don't want to watch like a plague movie. Mm-hmm. See, I just love plague movies, so I'll watch them any time whether there's a plague or not, but I understand <laughs> and pro- would probably encourage people to not watch plague movies during this time. But people are, like, super into plague movies right now, and, like, oh, yeah. I, but and I like, you know I love plague movies and zombie movies? Too real. I don't need that right now. I get it. I get it. Too real. So Speed Racer was very much, like, it's very earnest. I think that's why I like the Wachowski so much. There's, like, an innocence and an earnest storytelling and a true care for characters with them that mm-hmm. is very present in here and people people will tell you that this is not a good movie i know that there's like been that resurgence of like guess what it was actually good and you guys were all wrong that happens yep um for this i i truly believe that and i've edited a bunch of people but writing about how good this movie secretly was since like 2010 like it's we all knew it was secretly good but i hadn't watched it from start to finish although i knew what to expect it was way it was so much fun nice yeah one of these days i guess i'll watch it should it's so good i know it's really attractive looking and it's very fun and it's it's so earnest oh i love it um we watched sonic the hedgehog the new sonic movie Uh, let me get this one out of the way i hated it okay um, I have nothing good to say about it. It was a complete waste of my time. Were you were you a Sonic fan as a kid? Did you play the game? Yeah, yeah. I I liked Sonic. I played Sonic Spinball. It's a little pinball game with Sonic. Uh, okay, I I, I like the bonus rounds. That was always fun. Yeah, yeah. I like Sonic. In this was just not I mean, whatever. Was it? I do you think like it was just it was aimed at kids and didn't work for you? Or you just thought it was kind of a waste. I love kids movies. Yeah, I'm so childlike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old lady child. 
No, for real. I'm gonna my next movie um, that I'm gonna talk to you about. But no, it just I didn't understand who it was made for. Mm. Like it was so thin. But and it wasn't. It was only like an hour and a half, which I appreciate because it seems like even like PG PG thirteen movies are like, hello, I'm two hours yes, and twelve minutes. Yes. And you're like, why? So it was on the shorter side, but like it felt real long. Eek. Yeah, never a good thing. And it was. This is a weird thing to say, but if if you if you see it, you might know what I mean. I don't recommend you see it, but it's a very masculine movie. Hmm. It just felt like a boys will be boys kind of movie, and that was like I felt actively alienated. It was huh. weird. Interesting. You, yeah. You know what I didn't feel alienated from? <clears throat> Spies in disguise, which is Will Smith as a pigeon. I this movie... what? Wait, is this an animated movie? Yes, it came out. I mean, it's like Redbox video on demand. It's like available now, so it came out three months ago. Okay. I really. I wanted to see it in the theater, but it was kind of during a slightly busy theater time. Okay, got it. So, like, it obviously, it was like it didn't take precedence because Christine's silly Will Smith as a pigeon movie isn't as important as seeing, like, an actual. <laughs> this, like, everything about this kind of sounds to me like I've never heard. I can't picture the poster for this. I can't. <laughs> we saw the trailer for it in front of something, and I was delighted by it. I was like, oh, this movie looks wonderful. It's um animated. Oh, okay. Now I I, I can't, whenever I would see the the preview for it, I was like, is this a spin-off of The Incredibles? No. Okay. But they look kind of like that. That's oh. why I thought it was. Yeah. I liked it more than The Incredibles cuz I don't like The Incredibles. Okay. Um Tom Holland is like the little little boy. He's like uh his cue. Okay. Cuz he's a spy. It's a spy movie. It's a, like a kids animated spy movie. And you enjoyed it's it, it sounds like. Yes, it's super genre-y. Neat. And, like, really charming. And when Will Smith is, like, a man, it's all right. But when <laughs> he's a pigeon, it's really good. <laughs> we paid to watch this movie. I was like, I, I want to rent that movie. I'm watching that movie. It's very good. And it sounds like you had no regrets. No, I liked it. Good. good. Um, Not my recommend, but streaming on Netflix is a movie called Sweetheart. I had heard people talking about it. Do I don't you know. know it? No, is? I don't. It is a a uh, horror movie, creature horror movie. It's not really a spoiler. Um, it's a young woman on an island. Uh, it's kind of a slow roll to figure out how she got on the island and who she was on the island or who she was with before she ended up trapped on this island. And there's like a monster on the island. Okay. Again, no spoilers. That happens it's really early. Concept? Any good? It wasn't. It, it yeah, the concept's great, right? Yeah, I mean, it's something I haven't really heard before. It's. It was. There were. It could have been great. Mm. It was just good, and I felt like it never shifted into greatness. It was so close, though. Ah, it's a shame. And there's a lot of good water stuff. Like I like, like water horror. It's not really <laughs> a genre, but like I like that type of stuff i like I'm with you on that something, yeah something in the water and it, it swipes at you and there's oh a cut i, I am with you with the oddly enough with the exception of shark movies because mm-hmm. i feel like uh, every one of them pretty much turns into the same story where it's let me swim away and maybe i'm either gonna swim away or i'm gonna get my leg bit off by a shark yep 
And so every scene ends up being the same type of tension. But other yep. than that, I do like a good water movie. Yeah, this so this has th- those elements, and it's got a lot of like survival, like video game type survival elements where you you see what you have available and okay, how you're going to use it. it. So like it had a lot of good elements. Neat, but just didn't um, all come together for you. It sounds like no. Okay, and then look, we go off the rails, and I'm I I make questionable choices. Um, rewatch Secret Window, which I think is streaming somewhere. I've I don't never like seen TV. Secret Window. I think I read the short story it was based on. Yeah, I think I did too. Now that you mentioned it, um, I don't like Stephen King and I don't like Johnny Depp. Ask me why we watch this <laughs> I was movie. Wondering. I don't know. Questionable choice. You're choices. a huge John Turturro fan. Can I say though, he was very good in this. Okay, well there was something for you. I've never heard somebody do so well with such Stephen Kingy dialogue in my life. <laughs> it was really good. He sold it. Nice. Um, for some reason we watched that. Don't know why. Uh, rewatched Atomic Blonde. Yeah, I enjoy that. Which movie. I don't. I don't know if that's streaming anywhere. We have it on Blu-ray. It was better than I remembered. You see, that's one of those movies I could see that working because it's one that has too much plot, and. It- it's, it's like, you, you know what? You You're right. It does. You don't want to think about the plot when you watch the movie. Like, I just want to watch Charlize Theron be awesome and be sexy and be well-dressed and kick ass. Yeah. And I respect that the movie tries to be more than that, but it just ends up taking something away because you're like, oh, do I have to try to figure this out or can I just watch her beat up men? And I could see where, because I've watched like... I haven't sat down and rewatched it beginning to end, but I've, in passing, had it on in the background when I was flipping, flipping channels. And mm-hmm. if you don't have to think about the story, it probably works better. So maybe it's one where on rewatch we were like, oh, whatever. Yeah, there's like nine twists. It's fine. It might end up like you don't have to think about it that way. Yeah, I mean, I knew what was going to happen. So, yeah, you're right. That probably helped because I wasn't thinking about what was happening. I just – and I did understand it more this time. Mm-hmm. Some something happened and I was like, oh, because of that, right, got right, it. Right. Or like, oh, he went to double cross, but she had already got yeah. it. All right, but it is stunning. Yep. Oh, this movie—it's so sexy. beautiful. It's a really sexy it, movie. And I know we talked about this the first time we both had watched it. It it really is because it is very like, look at Charlize, she's hot and strong yep. and mean and cool and amazing but it's also like look at james mcavoy look how, it's it's literally little vignettes of how cool everybody is yes i oh, it's so good it was it was it's, very it's much what so i fun. needed yeah no i'm with you it was very attractive the colors are yes, pretty yes and she oh my god i uh, want her wardrobe too it's so good it's really it's stylish co- the costuming and the lighting were something i don't think i appreciated as much I could see the that. first time. Yeah, I was like, "This what was it lit like this in the theater?" Because <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah, ugh, love it. And the soundtrack. Mm. Oh my god, could just go it's a on cool and on. movie. That's the other thing. Like you watch really it and you good. feel like, "Oh, I'm cool for watching this movie." It really and it treats because it, it people will say like, "Oh, this this movie's like an iPod on shuffle," and I get that. And sometimes I don't like that. Well, and normally but I like, don't like that at all. But this one works for me. Sometimes it's great because yeah. it really is like like this per I don't know who directed this. I'm sorry. This person put together like a series of music videos 
with with like James McAvoy and, Sh- and Charlize Theron in <laughs> Essentially, so cool. I feel like the I'm looking it up because it's bothering me. I feel like um, the director was a stunt guy, David Lech, Lech, uh, and he was he was a stunt man turned director. I mean, the, the, there, there's that like that faux single shot of her fighting like oh, down yeah. the stairs That's and in so the apartment. Right. It it goes on longer than I remembered. It's just really good. Yeah. Hey, everybody, watch that movie. He also did Deadpool two, Hobbs and Shaw of the Fast and the Furious. And I guess that's it. Uh, that and he's the uncredited me... director for for John Wick, because I guess like he, I think that was one where, um, I don't know because I still haven't seen John Wick because of the puppy. Uh, but he is he is like in IMDb he's co-credited for John Wick as a director, but he's in parentheses uncredited. So whatever that means. But then he did go on to it's direct a... other films. So it's a shame because Hobbs and Shaw. I did not enjoy. And the other thing that you said that I have already, Oh, Deadpool too. <laughs> it's like, I have already, forgotten <laughs> I've already tuned out whatever Emily said. I didn't like that. Well, that wasn't the direction's fault though. That was more of the story. Anyways, this is a good movie. So good for him. Nice. Good movie, sir. Um, I rewatched Scott Pilgrim, a movie I know you don't like. I just, I mean, it's not that I don't like the movie. It's that I don't like Scott Pilgrim, the character. <laughs> But I think this is the first... I thought of that, and Zach and I were actually talking about you while we were watching mm. it. I never even considered that I was supposed to like him. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I never... It was like... I, what I think I think what I said, and it sounded very smart at the time, was Scott Pilgrim is the vehicle to get me to these things that mm. I like. I yeah. don't really care about him. I get that. He's, he's so, the guy who happens to have a car that I'm driving with. Yeah, like, ugh, don't talk to me. Yeah, like, no, get no, no man, this- I'm just here. I'll sit in the back. Don't worry about me. Yeah. yeah, get me to the next cool scene. But <laughs> eh. And then last, I know, shocking, re-watched Ex Machina. Ex Machina. The Alex Garland mm-hmm. movie. Because How did after... that go on rewatch? Well, after rewatching um Annihilation and realizing that it's actually one of my favorite movies of all time, instead of me hating it, I was like, maybe I should I liked this movie. But I really liked it the second time. Mm-hmm. It was like really interesting. I've only seen it the once, and I the one time I saw it, I really liked it. I just I wonder with that one because there's a few, not necessarily I wouldn't call them reveals, but just a few character things that become evident after you watch the movie that I wonder on rewatch to see the characters differently how it would play. I knowing how it ended. And kind of what everyone's fate was. Mm-hmm. I I liked that I knew because it made me look at everyone's choices differently. Sure. I don't know. I was I was like, this is really affecting. Yeah. I don't really feel like I was like affected by it the mm-hmm. first time. I think I was like, oh, that was cool. I could say that. But yeah. But rewatching it, I was like, oh wow. I I feel like I have a, a deeper understanding of what this movie was trying to relate to me. Yeah, uh, cool. I mean, it, it's a great looking movie, and it I think has some very interesting ideas and things that it plays with. Mm-hmm. So one of these days I'll rewatch it. It's streaming somewhere. Everyone, it's streaming probably somewhere. on Amazon because I think that it might have right. been made through them. So I would I would say that. Cool. I would say that that seems right to me. All right. Do you have any more? I have a recommend. Oh, but well, no. Well, we'll get there then. Okay. I'm holding on to it. I'm holding on to it. All right. So I have I have a, my usual 
weird mix of stuff. Um, first thing I will say, I have finally watched season one of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. Which, after all of these years, I had, I had just... I mean, I started the show season three or season four, I think. And at the time, seasons two onwards were always available by streaming, but season one never was. Yep. And now it's on Hulu. And it is fascinating to go back to season one and watch it. Because in, even within season two, how different that show went and not just in terms of like oh their budget got bigger like you know the contestants came into the show knowing the show so they were more polished and all of this it's just the way like the way the judging panel talks to the drag queens and also it was a different judging panel so you have like santino and mm-hmm. they're mean and they're catty and the so much of it the show in the beginning was just well you looked a little mannish so i'm gonna take points off for you like, the whole thing was just, yeah, I didn't believe you were a girl. And it's it's so fascinating to how the concept of, like, how you judge a drag queen has changed. Because mm-hmm. back in, I guess, what was it, 2010, it was just like, oh, how much of, do you look like a woman? And now it's like, no, no, I don't care. Like, you can have a beard and be a drag queen. It's more yes. about, like, what what is the illusion or what what is the entertainment you're bringing me? I just sat up because I, I needed, I was laying, sorry. I just sat up. <laughs> Lounging as your husband fed you grapes. Oh, hello. Fan me with a palm leaf. <laughs> but this is what I was saying. We were we were talking about this yesterday on Twitter, but about Michelle. This was happening up until season seven. Yeah. The, season seven was her calling out people's boy chests. Yep. You're that right. bothered me so fucking much. And not cinching was always the big thing. Like, Boy, what are you talking about? This I'm staring at one of the most beautiful people alive. Yeah, and you're 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 calling out boy chests, okay, old lady? Like it really bothered me how she would harp on these, like it's fucking drag, and she's getting down on people for not buying into gender stereotypes. It bothered me. Well, it yeah, it's that, and I think RuPaul is this way too to an extent because RuPaul as a drag queen is very traditional. Yes. And is very, you know, RuPaul never wears pants. She always has the same hair, essentially. As a drag queen, she's really not, she doesn't push any boundaries in many ways. And it took the show a really long time to accept and kind of celebrate, and it's still not perfect at this, but to kind of real, like, get to the point where, and so much of this was also, like, the whole um, confusing issue RuPaul has with, uh, the trans community yeah and it's and in a way like i can understand where rupaul always came from when he would say like well i don't really want a trans person competing as a drag queen because then it gets really weird when we have to like critique how womanly they look and it was just such a like you're like yes that is a problem because the way you do it because you're still looking at it as you're a boy dressing like a girl how much of a girl do you look like when it could just be no what is what is the story you're telling and and everything else and the beginning seasons are so rough for that and i think that that's why it's viewed as more like 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 if you look at some of the some of the queens from like a season two or a three up against some of these new queens in season eleven and twelve, it's like it's like apples and oranges. You can't yeah. even put them together in a lot of ways because the challenges that these newer um, contestants are being put through are things that they never even came close to in the early seasons because there was there were a lot of queens that just showed up to look 
to look like at. a like yeah. a female impersonator to look like the stereotype mm-hmm. of a kind of woman. And I feel like I'm glad that the show has grown beyond that yeah. because, like as as like a born woman myself, I don't look like that or dress like that or I don't feel represented by represented by like like a female impersonating mm-hmm. queen. Yeah, <laughs> like they're not impersonating me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, know. such an interesting point. Such an interesting yeah. point. Let us never forget Tyra Sanchez is the season two winner. Yep. That is insane when you watch this show again. Yep. Ugh. It's um, weird. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's such a weird time capsule of such a recent time. Like you're saying how The Amazing Race 2015 feels so different because influencers were like a different new thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I always say like sitcoms used to always be the, the most time stamped of any entertainment, right? You watch a sitcom from the 80s and it is so... Um, it is going to age so specifically because, well, sitcoms were designed for mass entertainment and whatever was, was the zeitgeist and the popular thing, that's what we would watch. And and so they're always the the most fashion stuck and the most, you know, all of the, the one-liners we said in different time periods, like you mm-hmm. see that on sitcoms. Like in The Office is another great example of that. The Office was early 2000s and some of it has aged really badly because yep. – it's not funny anymore because now we're like, no, 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 that's just inappropriate. No, that's just fucked up. It's not funny. That's mean. And even, you know, on RuPaul's Drag Race, which is uh, revolutionary in how it really did help, um, I think, culturally, the LGBT community, um, it's also weirdly dated in so many ways and it's fascinating. So, yeah, all of it's on Hulu. So, everybody, join the train with us. Join our ever-growing Twitter train of of randomly when one of us uh, watches an episode from season two or three and has a comment about it. It's fun. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yes. Get on board. All right. So other stuff I've been watching. Um, without realizing it, I ended up with a triple feature of like cell phone horror movies that I think you would appreciate. Ooh, fun. And I know you'd appreciate because two out of three were ones I watched on your recommendation. <laughs> So the first uh, was a DVD from Netflix, and that was Countdown. Look, what did you think? I need to know. I liked it. I didn't love it. Mm, I feel like fair. you loved it. I did kind of love it. Mm-hmm. Well, I love her. She's and I great. Thought it did so much stuff right. Oh my god! And Peter Facinelli is that how you <gasps> say his name? Yeah, he's. Oh man, it took me forever to figure out who he was. I'm like, I know that guy. I know that guy. And then I'm like, oh, oh, wow. He aged, like, perfectly for that character. (laughs) He was so awful and so wonderful. It was, I love a good villain. Sometimes we don't get villains anymore. Yep. Like, human villains. And it's just like, oh, this is good. This is what I want. Yeah, it did too many things right for me. But I'm glad you liked it. Well, it's so funny, too, because I'm watching it, and, like, I'm into it, but then I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like, I feel like... They spend so much time on on that Peter Facinelli character. Is that like, did that go anywhere? And then I get to the finale, I'm like, oh, that's great where that went. Like that actually was a really ended up being very tight. Um, and I, I mean, to me, it's it's a very it's of that wish upon Final Destination subgenre, which I'm fine yeah. with. It's a PG thirteen feeling horror movie, which I'm also fine with because it 
it owns it. It's funny. I thought some of the supporting characters and like the ticks they gave them were really funny. Yeah. Um, I felt like her love interest was kind of a wasted character, but eh, you can't be perfect. Um, so yeah, I, I found it satisfying and I liked it. I just didn't, I don't know. It, to me, it wasn't quite wish upon levels of fun, but it was good. But wish upon. Yeah. I, we, we are also people that like that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Oh. So then I followed that up with a movie that I know you were a fan of, and I believe this might have been your recommend a few weeks ago, or was definitely a movie you repped hard for. And I had read the book, and I had never thought I would want to see the movie, but I'm like, yeah, Christine liked it. Let me give it a try. And this was Cell. Oh, the um, King, John, John Cusack, Cusack one. Yeah. I liked that movie a lot. For me, it, it was okay it wasn't i remember when this came out because it was one that was shelved for two years and it was like the joke was oh by the time it came out nobody talks on a cell phone we all text um Mm -hmm. and it it's not nearly as bad as as i a as i thought it would be but also as like so many people wrote about it I don't know what it was about it that I didn't love. I think part of it is, I don't know, I have a hard time. I don't really like John Cusack as a leading man. I, I know yeah, that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, some people find that very shocking. But I, I just never want to follow him. Um, and that character is such a... Because I remember having read the book, too, like the same thing. I'm like, it was... I think, I feel like I read that right around the time The Walking Dead aired. So it was like... Oh, great. Yet another story about a dad trying to find his son. And I just want to read about the zombies, but instead I have to keep following this son that's probably dead or should be dead or regardless, I don't care about kind of thing. Um, But this was, there were some things it did right. I I liked um, the way it's filmed and kind of it being like, feeling like it's kind of like November weather in New England where it's cold, but not, but you can still be outside. So it has this like mm-hmm. dankness to it. Like there were random touches I really liked. I thought the opening was great. Um, but I, I mean, kind of like the book too. I mean, the book is, is, has a very different ending, but like a similar way of like, I don't really know what you're trying to do here now. And I feel like it's been going on for a while and I'm kind of done. And now you just tacked on a different ending, which I don't even know what we're saying with it. So I don't know. It was it was not. I was not in the recommend camp for me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I, it's probably one of those things where if I were to watch it again, I wouldn't be like so enamored with it. Mm-hmm. I think I was just the right time, sure. the right expectations. I get it. And I was, I was like, oh yeah, I like this. Yeah, I think it's better than its reputation. I'll say that definitely. Yeah. Um, then I. Uh, because why not throw in another cell phone movie? This was on Hulu. And again, this has been obviously a rough couple of weeks for all of us. So I'm like, what do I want to watch? Do I want to watch something like real and heavy? Or do I want to watch a movie with a title called Selfie from Hell? <gasps> Naturally, Selfie from Hell. Selfie from Hell. Which my husband put out. Where did out you watch this? Hulu. Okay. So Braddon looks at it. He's like, it's not called Healthy. I'm like, oh my God. Why isn't this movie called Healthy? I'm going to hate this movie if it doesn't justify its title. Um, This is really not... It's not, like... It's not laughable because it's... Here's something I have noticed, and I don't know if it's just me. (laughs) But, but, I don't know. Maybe you've seen this, too. 
really low-budget horror movies are better acted than they used to be. Um, yeah. I think it's because, I don't know, I had a theory and then I lost it. I was like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Shut I mean, up, you dope. I don't know. There, I mean, I, I, I think of how many actors I know in my lifetime. Um, and again, I, I went to college. I was, I was not an actor, but I was in the theater department. And in a theater department with probably like 200 actors, some of whom have actually gone on to things, most of whom were incredibly talented and some to where it was like, oh man, you're going to, you're going to win an Oscar someday. And I look at them on Facebook and they're not even acting anymore. And I'm like, man, but you were so good. So I do think there are a lot of great actors in the world that will never get their shot or that maybe their shot is selfie from hell. Because I'll say, like, the lead actress in this movie and most of the main characters were, were good actors. They were just in a movie called Selfie from Hell that's not very good. Um, it's very short. It's like an hour, 15 minutes. And yet it was still dragging and a little confusing. So, uh, and the concept, if you're wondering, is... Um, Oh. Because I was. Yeah, there's, it's a dark web thing. And if you end up in this in the dark web in a certain place um, and you, like, unlock a demon and then you take selfies, if you take 13, every time you take one, there's a demon, like, that gets closer to you in the picture. And if you take 13 of them, then he, um, you, like, end up in a coma and he tortures you until you die. That kind of thing. So, sounds great. Sounds promising, right? But it's, I don't can't really recommend it very highly. Uh, shocking, I know, for a movie called Selfie from Hell, but I give it—I gave it my full attention. Uh, why wasn't that better? I, right. Um, so another movie I'm gonna kind of shockingly say why wasn't it better because it won several Oscars and it's from a writer director who I really like. Um, and this was uh, a Netflix rental that we did. Three billboards outside of Evans, Missouri. AKA three billboards. I've never wanted to see this and I would like to know what you think. So I love Martin McDonough, who is the Mm -hmm. writer director. And I loved him back when he was a playwright. He was my favorite playwright. He wrote the pillow man and, um, uh, other plays. I can't remember the names of the Irish something, something, um, great, great playwright, dark, dark sense of humor, vicious, scary, all of these things. And I love in Bruges. Um, and I, you know, we rented this and I figure, and I had, I knew that there was like not universal love for it, but I also knew, I mean, it was pretty celebrated. And I, I Frances McDormand deserves her fucking Oscar from this movie because she is fantastic in it. I wasn't in love with Sam Rockwell. Um, my husband was. My husband's like, he was great. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he was kind of one note. And I don't know. I kind of feel, I, I felt... What was disappointing was, on one hand, this is just one of those very kind of dark, ugly, the world is really ugly, but oh, is it? Maybe it's complicated type movies. So I don't really know what it was saying. It's sort of hero character is a racist cop who sort of gets redeemed, and I I don't really know how I'm supposed to feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's moments of humor that work. Um but then there's also, like, uh, Samara Weaving has a really small part, and she's hilarious. And I'm watching it, and I'm laughing, and then I'm like, is that, does that belong in this movie? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and again, but I say that Frances Dorman, McDormand is hilarious in it, but also honest and raw and all of those great things that we expect from her. 
but I found it, I don't know, I found it very miser- miserable, which I didn't not expect it to. Um, mm-hmm. But, and I wouldn't, and honestly, I wouldn't have minded it a miserable movie because it's, again, a lot of McDonough's plays are that way. But it's that maybe it has this sort of false sense of, oh, but are we also like saying something? And that's where it really lost me. If it was just dark and brutal about how everybody's kind of awful, I think I would have liked it more. But this sort of weird redemption arc um, kind of really bothered me. Yeah, that's kind of what I gleaned from what I had read, and I kind it kind of made me not care. Sure. So you're 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 saying stuff that makes me feel like I was right. Yeah, I don't I think would you would care it. for it. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious if others feel differently. Um, and again, it's one I feel like because of my history with McDonough, I I wonder if I'm harder on it or softer on it than I might have been had it been made by I don't know. Darren Aronofsky or just some someone else because I think mm-hmm. I did approach it like thinking okay well I kind of know his humor I know his writing really well and I don't know if I liked it more or less because of that it's hard to say that's interesting yeah yeah I I, I really just felt like oh there's nothing here for me I know it was like a critical darling for a while mm-hmm. but like that doesn't always mean I'm gonna like something sure. so yeah. I was like meh yeah. never mind uh, let's see what else. Um, on TCM, I recorded just because I was curious to see how in 1935 they would have made a film of A Tale of Two Cities. So I watched that. Uh, like I said, I, I am I'm diverse in my film watching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I have not I read A Tale of Two Cities in high school, so that's my experience with A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, this is from 1935. As far as adaptations go, in 1935, it's kind of an interesting one because it's. Um, some of it's pretty big and you could tell this was a big budget. There are some, you know, there's the giant storming the Bastille scenes that are pretty impressive knowing what they were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but most importantly, there is like this one supporting character who's this crazy old woman that doesn't really talk much, but just sort of has like, is kind of like the crazy homeless woman that you normally have in a movie, but she's really into the guillotine. And she's just constantly she has no teeth and she's constantly laughing and i love her and i want to be her when i grow up so i will always remember her in this movie and it will hold a special place in my heart for it uh okay a few more on also on hulu um wanted something light so i turned on the movie about the you know uh slasher haunts and that was hellfest oh yeah i liked that one it scared me i liked it too i thought this was really well done um it you know again not nothing revolutionary but pretty brutal i'm this must have been rated r unless it was unrated on hulu because it gets really grisly and gory um for for a theatrical horror movie like this it was way more graphic than i expected it to be uh it's quick um it has a little more diversity with its cast than you usually get in these movies which is good Mm -hmm. but still like to me, the kind of final girl was also kind of blah, so that hurt it a bit. I thought they could have done a little bit of something with her to make her interesting. Um, but just in terms of the setup and, you know, some of the scenes, it, it was a pretty, you know, good, decent slasher, I thought. I thought so, too, and then the setting made me scared. 
Oh, are you you don't like you don't like haunts? Not at all. It was oh. too scary. I understand. I, I, but I, I might live it. with somebody who feels that way. Yeah, it made me so scared, but I loved it. Good, good. I wonder if they'll make a see. I don't know how it did. I feel like it didn't. Nobody talked about it when it came out, but I would take more of these. Way, yeah. way more than like houses that October built and what's the other one that you like that I didn't like? Hell House. Like this easily my favorite killer haunt movie so far. I think I've seen it in a while. I mean, it's no The Fun House. The Fun House is still my favorite, but I don't. I've never seen that. <gasps> You've never seen to- Toby Hooper's The Fun House? No. <gasps> I'm so shocked. It is so sleazy and joyous. Like, I always want to take a shower after I watch that movie in the best possible way. Yeah, no, I've never seen it. Oh, wow. All right, I'll Shocks have to. You do. You should watch that for um, October next year. Okay. Put that on your list, because I think that's a really good... That movie gets me in the mood, like, it, it for a lot of things. But especially, <laughs> like, Halloween, it's just a good kind of dark ride. Um, it, it's 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 kind of... It's it's like greasy and sleazy in a way that not many movies are, and I I think you should put that on your October watch for next year. Okay. Okay. Um. On I have three more on Netflix. I watched a random horror movie that came up on my feed called Headcount. Okay. Uh, written and directed by a lady. Um, and this was good. I'd say okay to good. It's an interesting premise. Um, it's uh, like a young guy is visiting his brother in the like desert of California, and he kind of finds a bunch of like young spring breakers, and he starts hanging out with them, and they accidentally invoke a demon. But it almost like all of this makes it sound very typical, but it actually has a really um, like headier, headier. Haha, it's called headcount. Um, kind of brainier, if you will, design that you don't realize until about halfway through where, and this isn't really a twist, but like, it's sort of like, it's not that there's like a demon hunting them. It's that something is happening to where there always has to be a group of, when there's a group of five, like something happens. Like, it's like suddenly somebody is here, but then they're also there. And that's because, oh no, they weren't there. It's in, in order to make them the number five and something evil can happen. Things have to align a certain way. Like it almost felt like, not like coherence, but like that kind of thing where it's like, Oh, there's something happening in terms of a weird timeline twist and stuff, but it's fairly straightforward, except with this sort of neat storytelling twist to it. Um, The biggest problem it has is that the whole nature of it being like a group of five means that you have to have 10 people in your cast and they all blend together. And like you, you see the main kid, you see the girl he's with. And there's like one other, one of the other like young actors really stands out because she just kind of has this like sassiness quality to her. She sort of reminds me of like a young Brittany Murphy type thing. So like that helps, but it's like, Oh, like you have something here, but your biggest problem is you're stuck making a teenage horror film. So your characters are really bland and I can't even tell them apart. But if you took a few of them out and did the same story with good filming, like the score is really good. Um, it's like set in the desert. So you have some really good backdrops. It, it like there's effectiveness here. 
And when it, after it ended, I was like thinking back on it. I'm like, you know, that was smarter than I thought it was. Like that actually did a few things pretty right. So I feel like you might get something out of it. Hmm. Um, it's one that I definitely want to see the director do more. I think her name was Elle Callahan. I want to say, um, like she has a future. Like she clearly has ideas and can execute them, but just needs like probably the, maybe the, um, whole storytelling devices a little sharpened maybe. Um, but it's like a mild recommend because I think there's something there, but it didn't fully satisfy me. That's always fun to like, be like, oh, this is fine, but this director, this, you know, this is going to be somebody to look for. Yeah. That's always satisfying and fun. Yeah. Yeah. You should give it a try. Okay. Um, and then let's see. So then, um, so two more, and this is where I get really classy. Uh, so Brandon and I, this was Sunday night, we watched his Netflix disc, which is where we use all of our classy viewing, apparently. (laughs) No, I used mine for Countdown. He used his for Three Billboards and The Last Picture Show. We see who's, who's, uh... I mean, look. Who's elevating the brand here. (laughs) Have you ever seen this? Peter Bogdanovich's The Last Picture Show. Oh, no, 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 I haven't. Okay. Uh, It's Jeff Bridges, Timothy Bottoms, who I can't look at without thinking, my God, he looks like George Bush. Uh, And a young Sybil Shepard and, oh, 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 a very young Randy Quaid. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was Randy Quaid's first film. This is really good. Uh, I, I mean, it's always, that's like nothing revolutionary to say, because this is one of those movies that usually is on lists of like greatest movies oh, of the seventies sure. and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um but a lot of times those movies for me aren't necessarily going to be that um that exciting. But I found this great. I found it very funny. Um which surprised me. And so, I mean it is dark, it is sad. It's about people in this sad town in Texas who are you know unhappy in life and will never really be happy and here's the next generation that's going to be even less happy Mm. um but sounds relatable doesn't it yeah uh but it's good it's it's so there's so many great performances you have ellen burston in a a small part you have um eileen brennan as like a diner waitress which is of course the role i always dream of playing in these movies (laughs) uh cloris leachman who won an oscar for it like so you have these, like, you actually, now that I said that, like, you have a bunch of really great female parts. Um, Jeff, young Jeff Bridges is, is so handsome and, and perfect for the part. Uh, it's it's good, and it's entertaining, and it, it is funny, and it, it never really feels like the way Three Billboards for me kind of felt like misery porn. This does not. So I do recommend it for one of those, like, you know, eventually when you feel like you really do need to see everything, this is one to see. In time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's nice because that is always my worry of like this highly acclaimed, you know, legacy film to, you know, for lack of a better word. And then I watch it and go like, oh, yeah, not for me, though. Yeah, this is not for me. Yeah. And again, this um, I I think you would get something out of this. But, you know, it's, it's not a must see. But I think if you are kind of, you know, in the mood for, oh, let me see one of those movies I should see, but I've never seen. I'd say Mm -hmm. that one. Um, and then last, uh, a movie that you've seen long ago when we did an episode on it way back when, uh, I was on. Wonder the... if I'll remember. <laughs> I wondered too. Uh, I was on the projection booth to discuss. <gasps> yes. They shoot horses, don't they? 
I saw that. Yes. I haven't listened to it, though, because since I'm homebound, there's really no time. I get, No, I had the same problem because I, like, now that my commute's changed a bit, I'm like, oh, I, I've lost my, like, normal podcast time. I mean, really what I need to do is go running more because that's, but that just seems harder. Um, but yeah, I was like, so I'm cooking. I'm like, oh, God, I have to put a podcast on because otherwise they're all going to pile up on me. Uh, but yes, uh, Projection Booth, which you can find by looking for the Projection Booth. I put a link up both on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I was there to talk about They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which is a movie I love. It's a movie that I think grows for me every time I watch it. And I recommend everybody watch it. And apparently it's available on DVD and Blu-ray now at a pretty affordable price when it was not long ago. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, that was uh, my watch list. So, having said that, let's take a break. Um, perhaps maybe go take a walk down to the marshes and find some dead snakes, uh, get our fortunes read, eat some pomegranates, would you say? Yes, I'm going to steal a pineapple. Ooh, good, good thinking. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about Eve's Bayou. Blackwater Hattie lived back in the swamp where strange green reptiles crawl. Snakes hang thick from the cypress trees like sausage on a smokehouse wall. Where the swamp is alive with a thousand eyes and all I'm watching you. Stay off the track of Hattie Shack in the back of the black bayou. Way up the road from Hattie's shack lies a sleepy little Okeechobee town. Talk a swamp witch, Hattie, lock you in when the sun go down. Rumors of what she done, rumors of what she do. Kept folks off a track of Hattie's shack in the back of the black bayou. I have cleaned the pomegranate off my dress, and I'm ready to talk about Eve's Bayou. Then I think we should do it. Let's do it. You pick this movie. And a quick warning to everybody who listens, uh, Christine and I go deep into these movies, so we will be spoiling things. So if you have not seen it and don't want it spoiled, uh, go watch it, and then come back and listen to us talk. Otherwise, let's do it. So tell me why you picked it. Let's do it. I picked it because it shows up on a lot of different lists mm-hmm. of like uh like understated horror movies and like movies about black families mm-hmm. and uh, movies with female writer directors. Sure. It just shows up in a lot of different areas and I always thought like I should fucking watch this. <laughs> because like there's no like why haven't I? It's because it, it I had to. I rented it from Amazon. You probably did something similar. I actually got the disc from Netflix. Look at you! And after I returned Countdown, I was able to get this one. Um, so, like, you—it's not super widely available. To say that it's hard to find is silly. But like, it's not like no one's pelting you with this right. movie. It's not streaming. It's it's not one that gets you know a huge push. And I think part of it is because it is not a not easily classifiable this is this yes 100 percent. because it is by way of doing a little bit of a of a uh 
summary of what the movie is about but like it's a like a family drama with like like spooky elements Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's coming of age um which is you know in its is one of the most popular genres there is except oh yeah it's coming of age about a young black girl which is not something you see often Mm -hmm. uh and yeah witchcraft is a big part of it or maybe it's not and like also it's it's Oh boy, what time period is this set in? Nineteen sixty-two. Sixty-two. I don't know. I don't know years. <laughs> Unless I was there. Well, I in don't fairness, really know. though, I think part of it is the fact that they're in the South. When like, any movie set in the South, and this might be a very like um, New York and uh, New England thing to say, but movies set in the South always seem like they take place a good ten years earlier than if they didn't. Yeah. Because it's just, there's different style. And the family in this movie, especially the mother character, is so polished and stylish, but stylish for the time. So it when we think of, like, 50s silhouettes, we think of the outfits in this movie just kind of because of, I think it's not a time period and a place we see often represented. Mm-hmm. This is true. Yeah. Um, so this movie... For all the, the the oddness and differentness with this movie and how wonderful that is, I also think that it's mildly alienating as well. Mm. Because Just because it's so specific about things that are not what we typically see in movies or for other reasons? Uh, yeah, I think it's because you we, we've just said what this movie does and it's different than what a lot of movies do. And I think that that is one of its biggest strengths, but I also think that that's one of the things that keep it from being widely accessible Mm -hmm. to people. Because there is this thinking, and while I do believe that, like, black films should have black voices discussing them, I think for us to go like, oh, that's not for me, is extremely problematic and very wrong and dismissive because this of course this doesn't represent my experience because i was i didn't grow up yeah. in the south in the 60s as a as a as a black girl but also it does because mm-hmm. i'm a human being and we all have similar experiences so i think there's a, there's a you need to kind of balance that to a degree yeah there it has always been i think an issue with black cinema and, I mean, our last episode was Love and Basketball, and a similar movie to where had that movie been Love and Baseball about two white young people who had this relationship, I think it would be one that we would have been more familiar with because people we knew would have talked about it more. And it's such a shame, and I think there is, like, I know I've been guilty about it, and that was one of the reasons why, like, I picked Love and Basketball last time was I knew, I'm like... I haven't seen these movies because when I was making the choice to see them or not see them, it seemed like, oh, that's probably not for me. Like, Living Single, that's that's not a show for me. Like, and I mean, maybe the maybe Living Single wasn't a show for me, but Friends wasn't a show for me either. <laughs> that's but a good that, point. Like, and the idea that to me growing up it seemed like oh yeah well like i'm like i'm not really supposed to watch that that's that's not for me the way it's the same thing that so many people have said about like you know women movies are oh that's that's for women not for me that's chick flick and it is really disheartening when you hear it 
And I know for me, it's always been a blind spot of maybe this almost fear of, I don't always know how to talk about a movie that is so, its identity is absolutely 100% black. Because I, because I worry like, oh, am I going to say something that I really shouldn't say or say something that's going to, that, that might be well-intentioned but comes out just wrong? Am I going to, you know, show some prejudice that I didn't mean to show or didn't know I had? Well, yeah, probably. But the same thing happens when I talk about dude movies that I probably come, come across as a really harsh feminist. And I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Um, so I think that's, that's so, so a big part of it is this kind of unspoken fear right and you look it's always been like the oscar story is what movie what black movies win oscars is 12 years a slave and glory and movies that are about um that are about black experiences that white people have an understanding of or have Mm -hmm. a historical context of like oh yeah we know about slavery so yeah we can talk about that movie oh we know about um the civil war yeah so so that whereas um, when it's a movie that's like Love and Basketball or like this, where it's like, no, no, it's just about, it's it's a movie that you've seen with white people. Here's a movie that it's black people, people like we're still so confused on how to talk about it. Um, and that's such a shame. I still think to me, as much as we can uh, rag on the Oscars, the fact that Moonlight won Best Picture, I still see as like this shining, glimmering hope of, no, there are people that get it. There, like, there's enough people that that were able to see this movie and say, "Wow, this is special." Even if it's not mm-hmm. my experience, I understand the experience it's it's telling me about. Um, but it's probably a double-edged sword when it is a black woman making a movie about a black woman's story. Yeah, it's this is definitely like a like like a feminine story. Mm-hmm. It's very it, it is very much that, and it focuses on its female characters in a very different way than it does its uh, scant male characters. Yeah. Um, so it's written directed by Cassie Lemons, who Woo! everybody knows as Ardelia from um, Sounds of the Lambs. And uh, this was her first full-length film. And she went on to do The Caveman's Valentine and Harriet. Uh, and See, uh, Harriet is a movie that I want to watch. Yeah. Because I, I like, obviously I like her a lot and I would like to watch this, but Cynthia Erivo is... Harriet, mm-hmm. but I don't want to watch a slave movie. Yeah, not this is not this is this is me just saying I don't like I've see I don't want to see that anymore. Sure, and that makes me feel bad. No, like, I get it because I want to see these ladies doing yeah. stuff, especially yeah. Cynthia. I love her so much, but like I don't want to see the movie. Yeah, I get it. Um, a lot of the crew are also female. Um, I did notice that when yep. I was watching in the credits. Yeah, the director of photography, um, the somebody else in a big position, the editor is the same editor as Love and Basketball. Oh, Carolyn Trumpshire. Yeah. Um, and she, she actually, had, like, I pulled a quote from her that I read in an interview because I thought it was so great. Um, so she had said, like, when she was approached to do the movie, like, she, you know, she read the script and, you know, was in. And the way she, what she said about it was, I had grown up with these women, but I had never seen them on film. When I read the script, I saw my aunt, and I saw my aunt, probably, and I saw my mother. I felt like my responsibility was to honor our mothers and our aunts and our uncles and all those people who were lovely, glamorous, and divine. People often ask me about my editing style, but as an editor, you don't have a style. The material gives you the style. The material tells you the rhythm. The script has a certain rhythm to it. So my responsibility was to allow it to be what it was supposed to be. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. 
Uh, so, on that note, why don't you tell the fine people at home what this movie is about? This movie is about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to defer to the IMDb description because I think it is very short and it is very clear. Okay. And then I will expound. Um, after a daughter witnesses her father having an affair, she begins a chain reaction that could tear her family apart. That, I think, is very... I think that is a good umbrella yeah. of what this movie is about. But it's also about a family. It's about the women in a family. It's about legacy. It's about believing in yeah. in fate versus... versus yeah, like, like, having control over your life. It, it's just... It's a very... It's not at all what I expected, but yet it was completely what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I just... Like, for a minute, I forgot there was going to be, like, witchy shit and, like, 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 clairvoyance. I didn't, I forgot that that was going to happen. So when that happened, I was like, oh, fuck, wait, what are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, it has this really interesting sense of reality um, that I appreciate. Because it is, like, there's witchy shit going on. But the movie is also kind of clear that, like, or maybe there's not. Like, yeah, yeah, we know that there's premonitions and this these characters seem to be able to, seem to have kind of a connection and, you know, a vision into things. Or maybe they don't. Or maybe that's just, you know, everybody knows these things will happen and there's a self-fulfilling prophecy to it. And that, I think, is what was so interesting because it seemed like the characters kind of didn't know either because there is a there is a a plot point in it where um there's a lot of ladies in this there Mm -hmm. is an aunt oh there's so many fabulous ladies in this debbie morgan who was also (laughs) just in love and basketball love and basketball yeah so the 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 aunt is this is the seer she is clairvoyant she gives people advice they come to her she has this vision and she's convinced one of the children, one of the three main children in this is going to be hit by something. And and then everybody's on lockdown until until somebody <laughs> gets hit. And then this other rando kid gets hit by a bus and they're like, oh, well, that's done. But then that ends up not being what it was. So yeah. there's this, like, misunderstanding and misreading within the film itself. Like, it's not just like they misdirected us. The characters got misdirected. And I thought that was really great. <laughs> Well, because there's like this, there's so many different, um, what's the word, like, uh, not cultures, but like uh, story um, echoes in here. Because Mm -hmm. like, as you're saying that about like the whole, oh, right, there's a prophecy, basically, that you misinterpret, which is very Greek tragedy. You have, um, you know, this sort of, these ghost stories, these... All these, and it's kind of fitting because in like this is me taking a leap, but I feel like it makes sense. There, this is a black family living in in the bayou of Louisiana, and so there's a lot of like Creole culture, and that in itself is a culture of a lot of different different cultures coming together, right? Because you have African, you have French, you have Native American, like you have all of these different different directions of history that come together and you know the movie starts and there's narration and did you know who did the narration for this movie i 
I just saw it when I was scrolling. It's Dr. Warner from Lawnator SVU, which makes me very I happy. Tamara Tooney. I should, I surprised. Did you recognize her voice? I didn't. I, I, the whole, I'm like, I know that voice. I know that voice. Who is doing that voice? And I, then I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, fuck, who's doing that voice? Um, my, like, favorite side character on SVU. But anyway, um, I really, like, I don't know why they never just did a spinoff of her stories. Cause she was always very good. She's fantastic. And... So, but the narration in the beginning is basically oh, before we get into a whole lot of. Actually, the opening line is so beautiful, but but bef- I'll get back to the opening line because I think that goes into something else that I want to talk about with the movie. But that they have to introduce. We're from the town of Eve's Bayou, and this town was founded by a slave who saved her master and had kids and were the descendants of them. Like that, the history is so important. Even though in other ways it's not. It's not like any of the main action in this movie has anything to do with the history of this town or the history of this family, right? This is Mm -hmm. this family making their decisions and wherever they lead. But yet it's important within this, our protagonist's kind of her own self-identifying culture that let me tell you about my childhood. It starts with this town and I want you to know who it's named for. Mm-hmm. The, it's, yeah. it's, I worried when that, when it started that way of like, Oh no. Um, but I really do think that that was important. establishment. Was, yeah. yeah. Because sometimes I feel like there is, at least in modern movies, and I don't know if I would necessarily classify this as a modern movie. It is 97, which is pretty recent, but it didn't have an overtly modern sensibility, which I appreciated. It had a more classical storytelling style. And I was like, oh, no, it's black and white. Oh, my God. Flashback. And then I was like, (laughs) oh, okay. No, wait, I think I got that. And then when it ended, it really bookended it. And I was like, oh, that was nice. Okay, Mm -hmm. Because I've become wary of narration because to me it's it signifies that they that somebody doesn't trust that the story is told in a clear way well i think i i probably said this before um in college i was a playwriting major and one of the things my professor would like every year one like a new student would always start a play with narration and every year my professor would say nope (laughs) like you don't get to do that like no no young writer should ever do narration because it's just it's a weakness it's a crutch you're just you don't know how to tell your story so you've created this narrator to tell it for you and I mean we know that with films like some of them that's true and some of them it's not at all and with Mm -hmm. this movie what I found so interesting about the narration and I mean the opening line is Memory is a selection of images, some elusive, others printed in indeb- I can never say that word indelibly on the brain. The summer I killed my father, I was ten years old, which is such a great opening line. And it is. Th- watching the movie the whole time, I was like, "That is the opening of a novel. Like that line is the perfect way to start a novel." And then watching the movie very quickly, I'm like, "This isn't a novel. This is a play." And it really did feel like doesn't that, right? it? Yeah, it feels, and it's fascinating because, okay. to my knowledge, Cassie Lemons was not a stage person at all. I think she went to film school. She was a, a film actress. She, I don't, I, and I, I don't know enough about her to know if she did have a big theater background. But and maybe so much of it might just be that there is a huge like Tennessee Williams feel to the characters Mm -hmm. because you have so many women who are sexy and flawed and speak in poetry that 
and, and to the point where we get to one specific scene that is so theatrical in its construction that is, is what I found so fascinating about the movie. I'm like, I almost wish this wasn't a movie, but that it was just a stage play or a novel. Because I feel like there is certain certain things it's doing fit those media is so much better than necessarily than a film and i think i know what one of my issues like the the one thing i really did not like about this movie i really hated the score huh i don't really remember it so that might say something to me the problem was with the score was was two things one it felt very traditional movie instrumental score like just that beats were underlined by the kind of music you would play when you were like but when you were kind of a mediocre I don't think this is a mediocre movie but I feel like the score brought it down a little bit Mm -hmm. and then the other part to it is like you're in Louisiana and in the opening scenes I'm just like watching the camera move across the willow trees and the swamp and I'm just drooling because I'm like oh I forgot how beautiful Louisiana looks on film like just how much you can do with it and the other part of that is you also have great music from the bayou and Mm -hmm. you don't really get that in this movie to me the score just feels like a hollywood studio and an orchestra doing a score and there's not like that sort of you know like i don't didn't necessarily need like a jug band and a washboard but it feels like the the music could have enhanced the setting more and made it more haunting, and I don't think it does, and I feel like that really hurt it for me. I I get what you're saying. I don't think I thought about that at the time, but yeah, uh, I think you're right. And I think the fact that I can't recall the score means mm-hmm. that it didn't make much of an impact. Yeah, fair. Um, you want to talk about the kids? Yes, let's talk about them. So we get a very young Megan Good. Ah, the intruders from the intruder. <laughs> that's whatever. I was like, oh my god, I don't know why that's the pull. That movie's so stupid and recent. Um, but also, she was in Brick, and I was very excited to see her. Um, Zach didn't recognize her at first, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, she because she's a little baby in she's this. A she ba- looks and she was so young, fourteen or sixteen, I think, when she filmed it. And yeah, she's, she's so young and she, what I, what's great about her, like she has such a a pretty young, fresh face and it's not that she looks like the actress who plays her mother, um, what's her name? Lynn, Lynn Whitfield, who's gorgeous. And it's not so much that Megan Good looks like Lynn Whitfield, but like they look like they're of that same like porcelain, perfect, like you can see that, oh, yes, this would be her oldest daughter, who is just, who inherited, like, all of the perfect features and kind of perfect face. And, like, she's a lady. Mm-hmm. She's she's lovely, and she's very commanding. And she is, yeah. she does a really great job, because she's supposed to juxtapose the other daughter, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Journey Smollett Bell, mm-hmm. uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, or, yep, Friday Night Lights. I mean, she also went on to have... There's always something to a movie when, like, the, the kid actors end up, like, having real careers. <laughs> kind of tells you a lot. And uh, she's so good, She's amazing. Right? Yeah. Um, she's so adorable, good. for one thing. And I think she she was probably, like, 10 or 12, I guess. The character is 10. I don't know how old she was when she filmed it. But she is... 
um, at like she feels like a kid. She doesn't feel like an actor. Mm-hmm. And she has this like great way of looking at things and looking at people. Like I think my favorite scene is when she is walking with um with her aunt and her aunt's smoking and telling a story and she like takes the cigarette and like tries to smoke it like her <laughs> aunt. Like it's so cute, but it's such this perfect like this just beautiful image of like a child who's like, Oh, this is my aunt and she's cool and I'm gonna smoke just like her. And you just see it all on this little actress's face and it's so perfect. She does it a couple times, that weird balance of like cute and like mouthy, mm-hmm. like 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 really inappropriate, like how I used to talk when I was <laughs> like eleven and twelve. Like she's she's so cute and she's so charismatic and she just turns on a dime and says something completely inappropriate to her age, the time period, who she's with. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God. A couple times I, like, clapped because I really did enjoy her uh, her attitude. She, had, she, like, was shitty and I liked it. I really liked it. Yeah. It was it was very well done. Well, she, she felt precocious in, like, a real way, not yes. like a like a PG sitcom-y kind of way. Yeah, it's we've been watching a lot of, of Buffy lately, and it's like just makes me think of like what they tried to do with Dawn in season five, where yeah, it's yeah. like okay, we know we have like a young, a little sister, and you know in this movie Eve is she's the middle child and she's the second daughter, and her older sister is beautiful and perfect, so she ends up being that yep. very like Jan Brady esque character, and it is such a hard thing to pull off because that is typically not a likable character. No offense to middle children out there. Um, But like, there is that kind of stigma that comes along with it. And she was, and it's, it's definitely a combination of the writing and the performance that she is shitty at times, but you're still rooting for her. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's because it comes from a real relatable place. Yes. And her character is super relatable. Mm-hmm. I thought. Like, I thought that feeling of kind of being passed over, of feeling like you're the only person seeing something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. She that she was great. And I know that she is our protagonist. It's a it's a big cast, but really I feel like the movie is like this is this is who you should align with, and it, I was like yes, a hundred percent, I get this kid, a hundred percent. Well, and the other big kind of trick to the movie is that like it tells us from the very beginning, you know, memory isn't to be trusted, right? Mm-hmm. Memory is a selection of images, so everything that that we see and that we think of later we are we have interpreted we have flipped it around our heads we have retold that story and that comes to play in so many of the plot points right so Mm -hmm. you know what and part of it from the very beginning it's just this poor little girl being gaslit by her father Mm -hmm. who says no no no, you didn't see that you you know you you saw this and then her sister who doesn't want to think the worst of her father who just is like no 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 here is exactly what you saw here is here is what you're going to remember and you know this this sort of then builds and grows and you know eve is smart enough to to know to trust more of what she sees mm-hmm. that then when you get to the ending um which again we're going to spoil and talk about um where we should say the father is played by executive producer or actually i think he was full producer on this movie samuel l jackson um who was apparently very supportive of this movie and helped get it made and 
he he is the father character and there is a question of one night whether he has tried to uh make the moves on his oldest daughter um or whether she has tried to make the moves on him mm-hmm. and we hear it from both of their points of view which are very different um eve it sort of ends up being eve's decision of or in her mind it's her decision of i'm the one with the power to do something about this Mm -hmm. um and it is a fuzzy fuzzy issue in question would you say yeah i think it it's obviously uncomfortable subject matter i think it was handled incredibly well and i do think that it's interesting that it it didn't pull any punches with the whole kind of like i'm not the whole thesis of this is that um people see things differently and time changes the way we remember things and it, i think it 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 was unflinching in that because it gives the the eldest daughter's recollection and then via letter it gives the father's recollection and then like the daughter is like i don't know yeah i don't like and i was like geez that right there yeah yeah she was she didn't make anything and i think that's the thing especially with kids is that there's this thinking like oh you're making this up you're lying like i don't know she seemed like she legit didn't remember Right, right so like that was the way that it that's how it felt to her that's her reality and now that's what's been solidified. And I think it was really honest and interesting to have her say she didn't remember. Yeah. It really, it really, you know, put a, put a, put a fork in that whole thought. Like it is a f- memory is not solid. It is fall- fallible. We mm-hmm. don't, I, I don't know. It was it, the, the thesis of this movie is not what I expected it to be, I guess. Yeah. It It's, and I, I like on one hand how kind of, outright the movie is about what it's about like it kind of comes out in the beginning and says like hey we're gonna tell a story about memory and so it's helpful because it kind of makes you pay attention to that in the movie Mm -hmm. but then you get to the ending and in a sense you're like oh okay i don't like i you don't you don't leave no like it's not about what happened or what didn't happen it ends up being more about what does it mean that we make with that we reinterpret it and we see it how we need to see it versus maybe how it happened mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's yeah it, it's like there's there's a, there's a lot to process and i don't think i i'm able to process all of it on one viewing yeah and i think so there's something interesting about and relevant about the fact that it's it ends up making a statement on um intention versus act mm. because the act is changeable in people's mind, but the intention has ripples a lot of the time. And and, and in a a big way, um, Eve doesn't spoiler. This is how the movie ends. Everyone (laughs) Eve doesn't kill her father or get her father killed. Her father's actions get him killed and her father's actions are what put them in the position to have a memory that neither one of them is sure about in the first place. So his, his intentions have been poor repeatedly over and over again he is a philanderer he is a cheater he is lying he is putting um the mother through a lot of stress and he's gaslighting his child yeah so like 
that's what got him killed. Not this fuzzy, hazy memory. Him coming home drunk and fighting with his wife is what put him in this terrible situation with his daughter. So I think it's it's interesting to be like this, having a crystal clear memory of this this 20 seconds isn't going to change what what led up to it or what happened after. And I appreciate it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that so much of, you know, I think ultimately what Eve's takes from it or where her kind of loyalty goes is straight towards her sister. Yep. Right, in the end, I mean, the, the final image, which is a gorgeous final image, it's, you know, it's her and her sister on the bayou, and it's this, you know, this, this you, you understand that even if they don't ever really understand what happened, they have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another great, like, again, two weeks in a row of a really great um, sister relationship in a film where you have two daughters who, who aren't the same, who, you know, personality-wise and sort of even, like, just taste-wise are, are very different and are not always going to get along, but sometimes do. And even when they don't, there's that deep, deep love between them that yeah. I always appreciate seeing on film done well. Yeah, this... Unlike every other viewing experience that I have, I didn't cry very much during this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did um, tear up when when Eve goes to ask Cicely if she's mad at her, mm. and she's like, "I'm no, I'm not mad at you. You're my only friend." And I just oh. was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> There's something so upsetting and honest about that. About, like, because they have had, at, at, up until that point, they have had, like, like slap fights. And, like, yeah. Ch- it has, there has been some, some stuff. Yep. So, like, it it wasn't, it was just, like, why are you asking me such a silly question? You're, like, the most important person in yeah. my world. And I was, like, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Even if you were making fun of me for getting my period an hour earlier. I know. I, that was so beautiful. That's I what girls that. do. It was great. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and the the youngest brother, by the way, the little boy was uh, Jesse Smollett's real life Journey Smollett's real life little brother. I noticed that they yep. looked so much alike. Yeah. They had the same sweet little face, and I was like, oh, "That's really good casting." And then I was like, "No, I bet that they're related." <laughs> yeah, he hasn't really acted much since then, um, but he's very cute in it. Yes, very cute. Wish he was in it more. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I think there is something also kind of like fitting about the way the children all kind of have the, an adult. Like it seems like the, the little boy is probably like his mom's favorite because he's the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Cicely is clearly Samuel L. Jackson's favorite. And that then Eve has that really special relationship with Moselle. Yep. And there's probably also like... You know, if if you think there's something real to the visions and stuff, like, that Eve seems to have them, too, and Moselle probably recognizes that. But also that, like, there's this, like, spirit to her that Moselle looks at, she's like, yep, I got that. It, yeah, there were a lot of interesting, like, relationship dynamics that you don't see explored in a lot of stuff. Like, it went beyond just, like, mom and kid or like you know boyfriend and girl like Mm -hmm. there was just like a lot you got to see a lot of different 
stuff and it's a shame that we don't do that more often because yeah. I like like that this is like uh her aunt says like you're like you're my kids yeah and I was like ah more stuff like this yeah and, and and as an as an aunt who has many nieces and nephews but no children of her own I get that yeah it's I mean it's re- it's a really lovely sentiment and it's I, I don't know man let different people tell different stories because you get you get interesting shit you do yeah no and that's I think that's like the, the best way to describe this movie like it's interesting shit it's so weird and like I could have if you gave me this prompt I would have never come up with this ever mm-hmm. and I think that that's why it's so important to give these ideas and these these things to other people yeah so that you don't keep getting these same fucking stories over and over again because when you have a repeat of the same stories because the same voices are telling them it paints the world a certain way because media is you know this they're the story it's the stories we tell and when you don't see your own stories doesn't it like invalidates different familial relationships i think yeah like i don't know i would like to see two sisters getting along Mm -hmm. or with a love that that transcends their stupid bickering yeah like that's beautiful and you don't get that a lot yeah i want to see debbie morgan and diane carroll as dueling witches oh my god what they're whole nother movie it should have been a whole nother movie oh yeah i will take that movie i mean it diane was, carroll just passed away but i, I will i will take that movie it find was a way. so it was so interesting and that her character in it was so interesting because like it's again that weird gray area of like well wait was she did did she did she have like did she do a spell does she have did she just take this kid's 20 dollars? i don't know what happened and i don't yeah. think it fucking matters yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I I mean, Debbie Morgan is a treasure in this movie. She's really good. She, and I mean, she is, she's gorgeous, but it's, it's the way she moves and the way she holds herself with different, in, depending on the context. Like there is a, you know, I mean, there's like the scene that everybody talks about, which is when she's kind of telling the story of her husband's and it's very theatrical and, and very kind of ghostly. Mm-hmm. But the way, like, when she goes to see Diane Carroll and when she sits down and puts her dollar in and she is dressed very, you know, a stylish, nice woman going out, and when she sits down, the way she, like, holds her chin up to the sky, like, yes! she is sitting down and she knows, this is beneath me, you are beneath me, but I'm going to sit down and give you a dollar and you're going to do what I have paid you to do. And it is, like, it, it's just so rich, a performance. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's it's not, again, it's everything I expected and not at all what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah agreed. Um, I think, I don't know that I have much more to say about it, do you? Let me think, did we hit everything? It was very pretty. It's very pretty, yeah. And I mean, the costumes um, are great. And yep. apparently, um, this was, I listened to a little bit of the commentary. I didn't have time to listen to the whole thing. But, uh, and the commentary is great because it's three women. It's Cassie Lemons, the editor and director of photography. And so it's just fun. I mean, how often do you hear that on a commentary? Mm-hmm. But one of the things they were talking about was how, uh, I guess, some people would give them crap that like, oh, people didn't dress like that the way they dress in this movie. And apparently, like, the one of the dresses that Lynn Whitfield wears 
was the editor's, I think it was the editor, or it might have been the um, DP's, it was her mother's dress from the early 60s. So she was like, don't fucking tell me this isn't what people wore, because this was, trust me. It seemed really authentic. Again, I don't know anything, but it really did. It was very beautiful and very cohesive, and it felt, it felt her specific like it felt right yeah and she had like at one point oh my god she had like the lucite purse holy shit this new oh a lot here it was really good yeah i want a fashion show (laughs) spinoff of the movie definitely it's just it was it was beautiful and poignant and engaging and interesting and different and fun and relatable but also not at all relatable um i liked it a lot i'm glad I finally watched it. Um, the, oh, the one last thing I wanted to mention uh, on the DVD, there's also an extra of a short film that Cassie Lemons made that sort of, like, clearly was somewhat turned into this. And it's it's about a, a doctor who is played by the actor who plays um, Moselle's, like, uh, painter boyfriend in, in this. Yeah, yeah, I can't, yeah, I know 100%. And you've seen him in a million things. Name. I mean, most recently he was on it. Daredevil, but he's been in everything. And he play he basically is playing the Samuel L. Jackson character, and it's just like this doctor's like day out, and the doctor's going around and clearly having sex with all the women in town. Um, <laughs> and like there's a like one of the scenes, it's like essentially the same scene with the same actress in this movie, where he goes and there's this young woman in bed, and you know he's like, oh you're fine, and then she's like, no I think I need medicine. He's like, yes you do, and he closes the door, and that's like almost verbatim from her short film, and apparently when. Um, Cassie Lemons gave the script to Samuel L. Jackson. She had cut that scene because she's like, we don't need that scene. We know he's cheating. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson was like, no, no, no. You got to put that scene back in. I want that scene. It's It was very, I don't know. It, it really illustrated how brazen he was being, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Which so it's I like think a little is, much. I think it was important because it really does. There's a reading of this movie where, obviously, um, where Eve didn't do anything wrong. Like... Right, the the man that the the man that shot Samuel L. Jackson's character would have found out. You're running around like you don't yeah. give a fuck. Oh yeah. Uh, so I thought it was I, I I enjoyed that they made it explicit, like mm-hmm. like oh he don't give a fuck. <laughs> yes, he's Samuel L. Jackson. Of course he doesn't. Um, and I think somebody pointed out like wow like. Samuel Jackson, who gets to play like it's it's a different a different character you don't get to see him play sure. often, which is like this kind of suave, you know, he's a doctor, he's like like there's something very professional about him in this movie, and mm-hmm. I don't think he has any four letter words, which at the time especially was very unusual. Yeah, and oh, I, I let me say one more thing, and then I will stop talking, and we can be done. Um, I will say. You know, I, I'll, I'll often say things like, oh, you know, you should let more women write female characters. You get a different, mm-hmm. you know, perspective, blah, blah, blah. Obviously true in this movie. It's great. But also you should let more women write male characters because yeah. they're, they're, at the end when Eve finds uh, a little sneak, finds the letter that he wrote explaining, you know, what had happened. And I was like, I didn't I didn't think like oh poor uh father's name who I can't remember Samuel L. Jackson I but I was like I felt empathy for him and I was like you did terrible not that great of a guy but I kind of get where you were coming yeah. from yeah and I don't often feel like 
like male characters are given that much care in no. movies. It was it was nice that like I I I, I wasn't like. Like, oh, this poor man. I do kind of feel like he set himself up mm-hmm. for bad things to happen. But I did feel like, oh, that's bad. I didn't. He didn't deserve to die. Right, right. Like I, because he was hurting too. He was, he was a victim of the of the patriarchy and of being a a black doctor in the sixties. Like, sure. he had his own shit going on. <laughs> well, and that's actually something that I'm, I'm I had forgotten to mention because I'm glad you brought it up. I love that, you know, we, we basically had two movies in a row that were, again, very black movies. And there never had to be a single thread about racism. <laughs> you know, like, there's no... And I think in this movie, I don't even know if there were any white people in the cast, which is fine. And it's so refreshing, because, like, we're saying how so many, you know, when, when people think of, like, oh, great movies about black characters, it's typically about racism, and mm-hmm. doesn't have to be like you can have a great movie that has nothing to do with white people being assholes to black people, and it can still stare yeah. black people. Yeah, yeah, and we know the subtext. Yeah, we know that it's it's like a big fucking deal that he's a doctor. Yep, and like I, I'm not stupid. I get it. You don't have to build your whole mm-hmm. fucking movie on people get it's just, it's it's just like stop stop tying women up in basements yeah stop yes, making all exactly. your black characters suffer right stop, stop having that suffer. that one awful white character who looks down on the black characters and reminds us that oh yeah they're black like nope don't need it in this movie i got it yeah Ugh. yeah that's yeah. a good point yep. well i liked it a lot i did too again i, I i'm curious thanks, if anybody agrees with me about watching. the score because it really like to me it kept it it kept it at a, at like at an eight when it could have been a nine type thing, um, yeah. But yeah, but aside from that, I mean, it's it, there's so much here. I think, and I do get the feeling that there there would be more if I go back to it. Yes, hundred percent. I feel like this is a movie that would benefit from being watched more than once. Yeah, same. All right, so it's a recommend from both of us. It is rentable on Amazon for a few bucks or rentable on Netflix by disc if you are one of those five people in the world who still do that. Uh, Okay, before we get into the next episode, do you, I know you do, so you tell me what your streaming recommendation is. My streaming recommendation is a little wild. It's a little off the cuff. It's a little little Jessica Wild. Well, that's a fun tie-in. So my recommend isn't available for three more days. It's available March 27th on Netflix. It's uh, Trixie Mattel's uh, documentary, Moving Parts, um, which we bought to watch. um, And then we were like, oh, it's going to be on Netflix next week. Who cares? I don't care. (laughs) Well, it's good that you supported Trixie. Um, I got confused because I call her Tracy Martell, you know, because it's a joke. Tracy Martell. Uh, <laughs> I forget sometimes forget what her real name is. Um, I love Trixie. I I love Trixie a lot. I've followed Trixie and Katya's career for a while now. Yeah. Do I think that you would benefit from having that same knowledge? Yes. Do I think that you need to to enjoy it? No, not at all. Mm. I think it stands alone as a documentary is an interesting documentary about an artist and a musician and a person. Oh, fantastic. Um, I always remember something that RuPaul said about Trixie in her season. Um, when, when I think it might've been the episode that Trixie got eliminated on 
but where RuPaul said Trixie had the funniest audition video yes. she'd ever seen. Yep. And I still yep. like I still wish they would show it. I don't think we've ever seen it. Um, but it's in since like hearing interviews with Trixie. And aside from like her show where yeah, she's hilarious, but hearing her talk in interviews and realizing like she's motherfucking smart. Like she is like yep. Bianca Del Rio levels of smart and funny. And like, I mean, she, yeah. So I, I am looking forward to watching that. I'd seen that it was coming out, but I didn't know the details. So very nice on Netflix in a few days. In a few days. Yes. And let yes. me know what you think. I will. Totally. I'm curious. Uh, it's very discuss nice. some sad parts. Oh, oh, why? But it's good. Okay. It's a, it's a lot about Katya. Oh, yeah. That's not good English. Katya's in it a lot. It revolves around things that happen. <laughs> oh, and and again, I mean, Katya is, I mean, my my favorite, my my top four, I have top four, and then after that, it's kind of like, eh, there, there's a medium list. But yes, it is Bianca, Trixie, Katya, and Jinx, and Katya is probably my number one, so I look forward yeah. to this. Yes. Very nice. Um, my Netflix recommend is a Netflix recommend. And this, I th- believe I'd probably use season one as a recommend in the past, but season two just aired and it's so good. And most of you people are, are home, I hope, indoors and trying to kill time. And this is a great time to watch Kingdom on Netflix. This is a Korean miniseries. Yes, uh, yes, I know what this is. Yes. Have, you, have you watched it? No, should I? It's so good. Okay, oh, I believe you. It's a miniseries set in, I want to say, 1500s, might even be earlier, but we are in South Korea before it's actually South Korea. And so, you know, you have essentially you are in the like medieval times, Renaissance esque age where you have bows and arrows and you have wagons and a gun that takes like three minutes to load and you get one shot and then you have to load it again for three minutes. And holy shit, it'd be really hard if you had running zombies after you in that kind of scenario. Um, it's so good. So season one aired last year. It's still available on Netflix. I think each season was six episodes, so not that big a commitment. Season two was so good. It You have to see season one before you can see season two. Um, it picks up quick, and season one was a little slow at times. Season two just moves the entire time. And there are great characters, and there are some really great sequences, and good twists and turns and it's um it is smart it is funny at times it is very scary and it is just so enjoyable Ooh, it's really scary yeah because the zombies are great the zombies are running zombies there's like a little bit of a twist to them as far as when they're activated and when they're not which is kind of cool not something i've seen before um but they are just they will just chase you down and until they get a good chunk of you and then you become one Interesting. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And again, like, imagine any zombie movie you've seen where, like, oh, it's okay because characters go in a house and, and board up the walls and have guns or, you know, they're in jeans so they can run really quickly. Like, yeah, but in, in, in this, they're not even wearing jeans. Like, they're wearing big, baggy pantaloons that are very difficult to run in when you're running from zombies and they keep their clothes keeps getting stuck on things. And it's just a clever – it's exactly what I always want zombie – art to do which is like look i know zombies so you gotta do give me something new and you still have to do it good but give me something new and this is something new so Hmm. highly recommend interesting um all right and then uh, did you have any thoughts on next episode i have i had no thoughts at all okay um so hulu has a section called like 
made by women, like either directed by or written by. And I happened to see it. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that movie had a, was written by a female. And I looked and sure enough, it was a female screenwriter. And I thought to myself, I have never seen this movie. And it is very definitive of a decade and of a generation. And that is 1994, I think, Reality Bites. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen this in a... I don't remember it. Let's just say I've not seen it. I have never seen it. I've seen one scene. I've seen the scene where Winona Ryder can't define irony. So. That's, yes. I, okay. I, I'm like, I kind of feel like I should watch this because it is so, such a, a punchline and, and, or not, I don't know. Um, and it is a female screenwriter and Ben Stiller directed it, obviously. So shall All right. we? Let's do it. All right. Um, bit, bit of a mood swing from Eve's Bayou, but it seems fitting. Yeah, sure. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's going to be the next episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Feminine Podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. That's it. Uh, or on Facebook, where we have a group, Feminine Critique. Um, all right. Do you have uh, anything else? Um, hey, also, if you're cooped up and, you know, stuck at home and need some entertainment or tired of watching um, zombie miniseries on Netflix, why don't you buy Christine's book? Oh, yeah. I have books. books I, plural. I re- I write things. Also, if you're an intrepid Hollywood uh, person that wants to make my stories into movies and you just happen to be listening and not realize that also that, you should just contact me. Yeah, you, yeah, those things. So I'm, I'm currently writing a slasher. I think it's very good. Oh, this is very exciting. (laughs) I'm a very simple person. This is keeping me very entertained. I love it. Uh, Where do people go to buy your books? Um, my name, my Christian name is Christine Makepeace. If you just Google that, I'm the, literally the only person that comes up. Very nice. And Makepeace as in create, um, world unity and such. Yes. Not, not take a, a hole and break a piece off of it. Not eat a piece of pie. Exactly. Just making sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, folks. On that note, be safe, stay indoors, um, listen to health officials, not your president and, uh, <clears throat> Be smart. I mean, unless you have a good president, I don't know where you live. That's that's you know what? That's a very good point. I do forget that <laughs> not everybody is stuck with what we've got. Uh, yeah, be safe. We we love you all. We want you all to be healthy. Um, don't be an idiot. Don't get other people sick. And we will beat this world, right? Yes. Okay. Love good, you guys. Good night. <laughs>
and it's come again. Mama, what is this? It's seed? come again. Don't it's come again. Starting to Until bleed. the seed is crushed, the power never ends. It never ends. It never ends. Mama, I was so scared, and they all stared. Then I started crying. I thought I was dying. Mama, please don't. Have you no sense of shame? Pray for mercy and down on your knees. Satan's staking his claim. Such a soul is a hole of disease. I can see you inside. Don't believe with your eyes. Full of sin, full of pride. Those are lies, Mama. Bell. Mama, how could I know? And your head and your hell, Mama, I won't let you go. Heaven hates a sinner, hates a sinner. Save yourself from burning, God, she's burning. Fire and the power and the glory forever. 